0: Hello again, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Have uh, have some stuff I want to I talk about a little bit before we before we get into all of our segments that we have planned sure. in, my, in my little cool document that I have here. Uh, <laughs> just w- one thing right off the top. Um, I do want to uh, shout out that Dorf Romantic, the game that we were talking about last week, is now out on Switch.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: Which is great. So go check out Dwarf Romantic. That game is really cool. I did also want to shout out Shovel Knight Dig, which I talked about a bunch last week. I'm still playing that game like literally, literally daily and on our YouTube and you can check that out. I f- failed to mention, I meant to mention that that game is also on Apple Arcade, which is really oh, cool. interesting. And that art style specifically, the pixel art that they've done looks so good on an iPhone specifically, like shrunken yeah. down with that display. That's like, especially like the OLED displays on the iPhone. I mean, it really is like maybe the best way to look at that game outside of having it maybe on the OLED switch also which is where I'm playing it but (laughs) if you if you have like a backbone controller or something the shovel Knight dig on on iOS is like really really killer Um, I think I think the uh, Mac stories guys did uh, did a little episode about that so go check that out also if you want to hear that firsthand and two things that are related to the discord which we've mentioned you know in the past into the cast out online it's got a link to our discord you can go check that out if you want to two things related to the discord number one I saw some people asking for recommendations for Steam Deck games and also people separately asking for for recommendations for Nintendo Switch games. So, on the uh, five dollar tier of our Patreon, if you if you back the Patreon, you get access to an Airtable that has a list of every game we've ever talked about, and also every episode that we've done, and what games are talked about in what episodes, games that we're looking forward to, our goatee lists from previous years, ideas that we have for bonuses and Patreon bonuses. Uh, if you want to see like the stuff that we're always like tossing around and thinking about, but I've also made two lists: one for the Nintendo Switch, one for the Steam Deck of all the games we talked about for both systems which I think will be helpful in case you're like looking for stuff to check out and you want to see like what episodes we talk about it in, in case you're curious about it. But also was really interesting because we've talked about literally hundreds of Nintendo Switch games, Stephen. And I looked on my <laughs> Switch. This is the thing that blew my mind. I looked on my Switch. I have 258 games on the Switch. Oh my
1: God. There are at least seven games I have on Switch that I haven't even opened yet, which yeah. leads me to believe that I'm also in the hundreds. When I first got the Switch, like just the idea of having any games game on it was was thrilling yeah Yeah. so like dragon's dogma sign me up pac-man hell yeah dude like just anything that showed up like (laughs) that on the switch oh yeah doom
0: sign me up yeah i've been i've been I was really surprised to see that number specifically on my Nintendo Switch because I even looking at like the Steam Deck, you know, I, like I turned on the Steam Deck and I, I have always thought to myself, like I have so many games on Steam. I have all these humble bundles that I've done over the past however many years. I've redeemed all of these games and I looked at the list and it was only like, I mean, it's still a lot, but it was like 170, 180 games I had in my Steam library to know that I have almost doubled that on the Switch is like. How did I do that? I don't I actually don't even know how I was able to accomplish that. And every once in a while, I talk to people who listen to the show. And the question that I get asked frequently, and I'm sure you do, too, is like, how do you have so much time to play all these games? And that was the first moment where I also asked myself, how do I have time to play all these games? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I doing? How did how how is this possible? Because I feel like I live a life where I'm like doing other stuff. I have other yeah. hobbies that aren't just making this podcast. I like making this podcast a lot, but I have other things I enjoy doing. I see the sun at least three times a year. So that's- like to touch grass yeah. but, also, <laughs> but i do have 258 games on my nintendo switch which i think is like remarkable also you showed me that that Airtable, and i think we've
1: talked about like on this show for the past years
0: yeah we've talked about over 700 games we've talked about a lot yeah here i I can tell you right now it's uh it's close to 600 it's nine it's sorry 598 games at the moment that we've talked about on the show it's still a lot of games yeah but to know that uh 241 of them are for the nintendo switch is pretty wild (laughs) first of all very flattered that that a lot of friends will ask me for recommendations
1: but i always try to follow that up with like well what are like what are the types of games you like that way I don't just say fire am Three houses at you <laughs> like what do you what do you actually enjoy what are you looking for what are you in the mood for right, um, right. I really like challenging myself to think beyond what I like and be like okay well how can I cater this list of games to this person's interests mm-hmm. and it's cool like I'm actually thankful to have that knowledge from doing the show because I honestly wouldn't have had that prior to doing the show like in, in some ways, this show made me much more knowledgeable, uh, which yeah. makes sense because we're playing a lot of stuff.
0: We're playing a lot of stuff.
1: But the air table is there for patrons of the $5 tier.
0: So patrons of the arts, patrons of the arts, the electronic arts. Wow. <laughs> Dude, challenge everything. You know what I'm saying? That's why I'm out here. That's how I'm living my life. I wake up every it's morning in the glass. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Little Tang for you in this in this Halloween season. So we wanted to open this episode with just sort of a a loose list of of catch up games in some ways. Yeah. Uh, games like we might have already brought to the show or, or played before, but just wanted to share an update on.
0: Yeah. Uh I want you to tell me about the one that you're playing because I'm also playing it. Oh yeah. So this you might have heard of this kind of an indie darling uh came out earlier <sighs> oh. this year. <laughs> yeah. It's Elden Ring. I'm
1: playing Elden Ring again. I, I've had an interesting like time with this game uh, because, you know, we got it when it came out in February. I inhaled it yeah. in time for the bonus that we released in March. And I don't want to say that I rushed myself in that time, but there was a point where I definitely pivoted from sort of an organic desire to explore mm-hmm. to I need to finish this a and time for the bonus and B for my own sanity like there was a point where I just like needed it to be over
0: yeah for yeah. me to
1: move on and pretty much after beating it I like I felt really done I felt full not like I'm over this game but like okay like I feel really pleased by that experience like I don't know if I need that again because it is as much as, like, it's so fun and so gripping, like, it is demanding. Uh, it's a FromSoft game. Like, it does have that. You need to be in, like, a certain state of mind to want that experience. Yeah. So I remember I, I finished it in the spring, and then I briefly started New Game Plus. And I had some friends who were, like, getting, obviously, it's a very popular game. I had some friends who wanted to play online together, so, like, I did a little bit of that. I, I shared that I had that experience where I played with my friend in the same room via the internet, uh, but we, like, both had, like, a display, and we're, like, it was, like, a LAN party version of Elden Ring. It was a lot of fun, but I've, like, pretty much, like, consciously taken a break from it and also, like, wasn't sure when or why or how I would want to go back because... Yeah again it's sort of like you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy and like you're not just going to put it on again immediately after I mean some people do
0: yeah I was just about to say uh, my, my experience watching Lost I watched Lost is the only television program that I watched every episode of the day it aired I was like you know I was in uh, middle school and high school when that was happening I guess uh, technically so I didn't have a whole lot else going on and I really made a point of like sitting in front of the television and it was like a viewing for me and I watched every single episode and when it was done when it was finally done I remember thinking to myself I will probably not watch this for at least 10 more years and 10 years have gone by since that happened and I still have not gone back and watched the pilot of lost (laughs) Uh, and I and maybe one day I will but I did feel that way a little bit with Elden Ring and I've and I've asked on the show and you and I have asked each other and people have asked the wind uh, when will you go back and play Elden Ring again like when will that feel right it's a hard question to answer
1: and I, I had loose plans to go back to it before game of the year season And just, you know, I, as we've been pretty vocal about, like we both, keep a list throughout the year of games that we've especially enjoyed and then around this time of year is when I start to revisit earlier games to have them like fresh on my mind and by December yeah. I'll have my finalized list so not a spoiler to think that Elden Ring is, is a candidate uh, for that <laughs> list in some capacity but uh, yeah I, so I wanted to go back and I especially wanted to start a new character because I'm like new game plus is thrilling it's really great to begin that game with your current end game equipment and stats and just wreck the tree. <laughs> sentinel immediately go back to margit I, I think i i had a friend over and in that new game plus playthrough i defeated margit and godric the first two major bosses within an hour like it yeah. was just like so pleasing i think people call it the revenge run where you just go back and you just wreck <laughs> and I, I like that because what new game plus allows for is a slightly less stressful version of the game you have the whole map you unlocked but you still have to go back to sites of Grace in order to unlock them, which act as fast travel points. So I found that it was cool because it allowed me to explore more thoroughly areas that I missed mm-hmm. the first time, uh, and I missed a lot. Cause I, I kind of trust Vare a little too much. And I went to Stormville castle and there's like a lot of really cool and ironically more beginner friendly areas to the South and East, which makes me realize, I think Vare is messing with you when he tells you to go to the castle right away. He's a bad guy. Yeah. You shouldn't trust a, a masked villain who is wiping his hands that have a irremovable spot of blood on them like lady <laughs> macbeth uh
0: so calling you maidenless over and over again
1: right right mocking you uh so i started a new game i started a new character cuz i'm like i like the new game plus experience but i want to go in fresh mm-hmm. armed with the knowledge of the game i've i've finished the game i know a little bit more about this world narratively and yeah. uh mechanically and I and I know how to play the game a little bit more and I started as a wretch. Uh we have an episode our first episode about Elden Ring right when it came out is called Consider the Wretch. We were joined by our good friend Chris Plant from the Besties and Polygon and In that episode, you brought up that playing as the Wretch, which there are several starting classes and classes Mm. in most FromSoft games and in Elden Ring, it's not like Final Fantasy where you choose like a black mage and that's the character. Like in in Elden Ring, the starting class is more about what are your starting stats and what's your starting equipment. And pretty much every class in Elden Ring is going to give you pretty good equipment. Like even the bandit, which is what I started as yeah. earlier on. The bandit has a giant knife which is great at backstabs and does pretty good damage and mm-hmm. also has like a really cool outfit that's also pretty good. Like Yeah. So you have like on one hand you have the bandit which is like that that equipment is going to carry you through at least the opening hours. And then on the other hand you have the samurai which like you could play the whole game in that outfit. That that starting kit is like actually people love that
0: sword yeah Yeah.
1: so the samurai is like okay and it's cool that that's there it's like if you just want to start with like a little bit more going on you know and this goes back to role-playing as well where it's like if you want to enter with an established idea of who this character is i like that those options are there the wretch is following the the tradition of there always being a class that is purposely powerless in these mm-hmm. games uh there was a version of this class in dark souls i think in bloodborne it was called waste of skin or something like really especially <laughs> mean <laughs> and In this game, it's the wretch, and the wretch is in a basically a diaper, but like a diaper that has been made of just like rags that were lying around. It's not even clear if this is purposely put on, maybe (laughs) just ended up there like through their (laughs) awful adventure. So you're you're essentially naked, and you're given a club, which I've read the item description of, and the club says a simple thick piece of wood that requires no skill to use. So like (laughs) the one thing you have. is insulting i started as a wretch and you you asked us to consider the wretch because you said starting that game with nothing feels like the truest intention of the game and it makes the element of discovery so much more powerful so like you are so grateful to find anything in that game and you are so right i i had a couple friends over friend of the show uh sadie lancreat and my friend eric morrison they were both here and they were both working on various art projects on their ipads they came over and i was in the process of making, making my character rich. yeah making a wretch. i named him trode which is foot in welsh and uh Terrible. or maybe troid i don't know how to pronounce it because the google translate welsh voice isn't great i don't know if that's like the exact way it kind of goes like troid troid so i guess <laughs> that's how you pronounce it But, uh, my, my beloved wretch, I made him, he kind of, he, I wanted to make him look a little bit pathetic, but he ended up looking pretty cool. He's got an eye (laughs) patch and a goatee. Um, and I'm like, I kind of like this. Like i like that. He's here to prove himself. I
0: will say he looks exactly like one of my old coworkers from a movie theater. I worked at once. (laughs) Really? Yeah. You you sent AJ and I a a picture of of your wretch and I was like, wow, that's him. Yeah. My friend, he, he, had, he had the most manicured goatee. It was, it was actually really remarkable. <laughs> the, one of the only people I've seen with like a really strong goatee.
1: It's, it's like almost like a Kiryu goatee
0: from yeah. from Yakuza. Yes. yes,
1: very strong goatee. So, so Troy is here, ready to prove himself. Immediately ate shit against the tutorial boss, which mm. you're supposed to. And when you die from that fight, there's this opening shot of like the tarnished you're playing as face down in like mud in yeah. this cave of defeat and his whole ass is out like it was just the most (laughs) pathetic shot like face down loser with like just an exposed ass and then (laughs) Melina and and Torrent come over and they're like we got to help this guy like it totally changes all the big narrative moments yeah because there's this guy who's like completely helpless and of course these various gods and major players are like all right this guy's clearly a pawn we can use let's get
0: started yeah because because even you start that game with any other class and you're clad in the armor that you have when you start those yeah there is an element when you die against that first boss and and melana and torrent show up there's an element of like you can kind of pick out from all of the wasted bodies lying at you know face down in the muck that this one is special like you can you can tell like oh the person completely clad in a samurai outfit is probably the one that we should like invest our time and effort into yeah but the exact opposite is true of the wretch. It's like, well, this is clearly the saddest, most broken being down yeah, here. Yeah, it's the other way around. Even, <laughs> even compared to the, the things that have already been taken by Blight and have lost their minds and, and are just wasting away, swinging their sword at anything that moves that's not you know reminiscent of them. The wretch is the thing that you need to help the most, which is so yeah. funny.
1: It makes the scene with Vare even funnier because you finally emerge into the open <laughs> world, and Vare sees this dude in a diaper
0: and is like, "Oh, I am messing with this guy today." <laughs> like, yeah, just... I've been able to push someone into a locker in eons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he's right when he's when he's dunking on you. You're just like, "I know, I know." Yeah. Yes. Correct. What's even
1: funnier <laughs> is finding Kenneth Height, our beloved Kenneth, who is this like regal, regal guy on this high, uh, like stone crumb. Tower, there's like a big goblin fight happening beneath, and Kenneth is up top, going like, Hello, is anyone there to help the great Kenneth Height? And then what no matter who you are when you show up, he's like, Oh, um, when I said anyone, I didn't I did very well. He like settles for you. <laughs> but like seeing this dude in a diaper show up Kenneth is like, oh fuck, this is the guy who's helping me. Like, <laughs> all right, very well. So funny. And I i had nothing for so long. Because the thing about the wretch is all your stats start at 10, which honestly isn't terrible because a lot of the other classes are more like they will have a dump stat. So like if you are a bandit, for example, you have really high arcane and dexterity, I believe, but maybe not like endurance or strength. Right. Starting at 10 across the board isn't bad. And I'm actually this time around, I'm going for a strength faith build, which I've I've already been enjoying. Mm, Um, Cool. But because you have 10 arcane, I was really spoiled by the bandits naturally high arcane, which is the item discovery stat so i found like tons of stuff right away when i first played i even i had a friend who was like it's kind of hard to find outfits in this game like are you kidding like every day is like a you know (laughs) it's it's a fast fashion paradise in the lands between um but uh the with the wretch like it took me at least an hour to get a shirt the, one of the first things I did was I met Bach the seamster, which I tweeted about. Finally met him. I mm-hmm. immediately fell in love. And Bach mentions that there's like a cave. It's honestly one of the few quests that has a direct like go here and do this guidance to it. Yeah. He's like, there's a cave near the water that I wanted to check out. Everyone else is like, you know, speaking in riddles. And then you have to wait until midnight outside, like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a God's forgotten temple. Um, but Bach is like, go to, go to a cave nearby. So I did, but I first went to the wrong cave. I went to some tunnels in Limgrave that are filled with the blacksmith enemies with the big picks. Yeah. And, uh, I slowly made my way through that. And at the end of that tunnel, the boss is the stone digger troll, which is a giant troll made of stone that screams and wields a club. (laughs) I am a wretch whose only combat art is screaming and i have a club <laughs> so it was weirdly this like moment of of self reflection um and <laughs> that boss the club if you if you wield it two handed is actually pretty powerful yeah and the ability to yell and to do more damage is actually also pretty good and that boss uh, if you attack one-handed your attack bounces off of them but if you're wielding essentially a bludgeoning weapon with two hands it's actually pretty effective against a stone enemy right so that was my first task I need to beat this guy with nothing like I need to prove myself in this moment and it was so thrilling to do that and it was one of the most rewarding experiences I've had playing in this game and then slowly but surely getting new equipment getting the ability to level up so i can finally have like a build in mind and i'm not just using the bare minimum i'm now at a point where i look like a knight i have a sword i have a spell and i beat <laughs> market and my nice. friends were here and that was all in the span of essentially three hours yeah it also, again, it really does... I'm not saying that like this is the only way to enjoy Elden Ring, but I do think it adds a lot to the mechanical aspect of Discovery. And it also makes the story beats where, like, not really a huge spoiler, like, early on, Melana shows up and she's essentially playing the role of the maiden in your journey and she's there to allow you to harness the power of runes to level up right and it's clear when she first introduces herself that she's using you in some way or that she's not being fully transparent as to why she's helping and Pretty early on, like once you have been leveling up and and doing all right, she shows up again and is like, I must admit, like I've been sizing you up this whole time to see if you really are worthy. Torrent believed in you from the very beginning, but like now I actually do, too. Yeah, right. And getting that moment, starting with literally nothing and now having like a little bit of power and control, like a little bit of this sense of place and of belonging and getting that scene it felt really magical. Also having the knowledge of the world and like knowing a little bit more about the lore, it makes the moments of dialogue hit much harder. And like the world actually is not as complicated as it seems when you first begin, just because you have no context for anything. But once you like have a little bit of a basic understanding of the mythology, it's not too obtuse. Like there's obviously not a lot of like direct storytelling happening but i found it to be really rewarding going to this game a second time and being like oh like that's who they're talking about here and that's who Mm -hmm. they're referring to and i haven't seen this place yet And oh this is why this place looks like that like i I really enjoy those moments of discovery a second time
0: yeah i think i think the game is so about exploration so about discovery and that that was kind of my point back in the consider the wretch era um was that if, if the game is pushing you to spend all of your time like just exploring all of the little nooks and crannies of the of the space, it makes a lot of sense to have your character have literally nothing so that you can be rewarded double for finding new cool things, right? It's it's not just I found this place, but I found this item, and that will completely change your gameplay experience as well. So I, I feel like starting as the wretch, to me, feels like the most canonical way of playing the game. Not that the other ones are bad by any stretch, but it does feel significantly more rewarding and more in tune with, I think, what Miyazaki and the team at, at FromSoft were like, trying to accomplish with, with Elden Ring. Um, and it's, it's a really fun way of playing the game. I am now playing the game again as well. I also started a new character, and I have started as someone other than the Wretch, which has been interesting because i started as the knight specifically because i was like i'm, I'm actually just going to pick somebody pretty basic like wretch adjacent almost you know like i just have like <laughs> i have a sword and shield and, like that's pretty much it and that's, that's fine i have like some armor where i took off the helmet because i wanted to you know see my character exist in the world but outside of that like i'm just kind of running around and like doing pretty all right because you know the the gear that you start with as you mentioned is like pretty strong already from the get-go what's really hitting me on this playthrough in a, in a way that it didn't the first time because like you i mean i i think i mentioned this on the show but like medically like I fucked my leg up because I sat cross-legged on a couch for literally like 100 hours straight playing Elden Ring until it was done like had to go see like doctors and stuff which was like really not great don't do that to yourself dear listener um, but that's what I did uh, and and really just condensed the entire Elden Ring experience into a really short period of time in a way that maybe I shouldn't have. Although I, I still loved it, found it rewarding. I mean, it's, it's an incredible experience. It's been nice to kind of stand back and say, like, I'm really going to take my time here. I do feel like I accomplished a lot of the stuff I wanted to in that first run. Like I did a lot of the quest lines I wanted to. Yeah, me um, too. But in this, being able to take my time this time around, having equipment. So I'm not like I'm not like scrounging for the ability to survive. I feel actually a little bit more survivable. I feel like I can tank some more stuff than I was able to. Originally, I feel a little bit more bold, I would say, on this run. And I feel a little bit more empowered to like check out things that maybe I wouldn't have this early on in a run. And what's really, I, I think, the, the thing that I'm like seeing over the horizon, the thing that's really speaking to me, is just how fucking big this game is. And I know that that's not like a hot take, and that's a thing we've talked about, and it's a thing a lot of people talk about. But playing it a second time and thinking to myself, like, I can't even imagine the scope of how long it's going to take me to get back to I don't want to give any of the locations away but pick any of the locations that look different from Limgrave for example you know the, the first area that you're starting in it's going to take forever to get there and I can't I can't even fathom a version of myself that was able to do that once let alone do that a second time because where I'm at right now I still even with my equipment feel like I've seen nothing and I know nothing. I I have this like weird fable of an experience in the back of my head that I had in March that is, you know, essentially like a a fairy tale. It's essentially like Norse mythology being passed down, you know, (laughs) uh, from campfire to campfire, literally in this case. Like I, I have like really no concrete recollection of how to go about doing the things I did before, just a loose understanding of what the world is all about. And that's a really cool way to go back into it. And I thought, as I was mentioning before, that it it would feel too soon. And it absolutely does not because, you know, Just the way time works now, I think post pandemic has made those months in between March and now feel so long, like the the amount of stuff that has happened since March even has just kind of like clouded that entire period of time between my first experience playing Elden Ring and now and it does still feel fresh in a way I wasn't expecting. And now playing it a completely new way is also really, really empowering and really cool. It's I mean, it's one of the best games of all time probably, and uh, it still feels that way on a replay, even, like, knowing most of the stuff that will happen and how to do it.
1: Yeah, I've seen some discussion, like, I feel like the the one gripe I see repeated online a lot is like once you know everything is the magic is lost and like I think that's a bit of a stretch I think that's I I mentioned this before I think whenever a game gets this level of acclaim there's the six month later it's not that good uh, (laughs) reaction always and it's not a invalid complaint like I understand where you're coming from and I think that like in a game like this there's definitely a large amount of people that might prefer the Skyrim approach where like every chest is like kind of randomized so Mm. like yeah What you get, you know, it's always kind of fun to discover Meridia's beacon in a random place in Skyrim, even though you know you're going to find it eventually. Like it might be in a bandit's chest or it might be like at a campfire or something right but i think like in terms of exploration i think there's still so many dynamic things that I, I don't feel like the world is preset i mean even just like the order in which you can do things like early on i missed a lot of the stuff in Limgrave, so like i didn't discover sorceress selen and the Pumpkinhead boss mm. until like the end game so i just showed up and like wow. demolished them and had high intelligence so selen was like oh you can teach me if you want you know like <laughs> that's so funny This time, like, getting there really early and Selene being like, you are a tadpole in the world of magic. Right. That changes the game. Like, I think also in terms of item discovery, I think Arcane does add a little bit of luck where what enemies drop is different. Right. I think what's so exciting about uh, Elden Ring is, like, pretty much every absurd item or ability you see, you can get uh, Mm -hmm. somehow. Uh, It really is so cool that the game is basically like, hey, that wild ability you think is unfair that this boss can do, you can do that eventually. (laughs) So I don't know. I I understand where those complaints are coming from. I don't want to write them off, but I think at least in the time we took, I I imagine maybe if you start right away, it could feel that way. Yeah. Especially if you've like, you know, min-maxed the builds you think is best and you know exactly where to get those items. But I think that's also going back to what the wretch does for the experience is like, it just makes everything it almost reminds me of a nuzlocke where like in a nuzlocke run of pokemon any addition to your team is valuable even if it's like a rattata or something yeah and you learn the value of any pokemon Uh, and it's going to feel special to that run whereas as a wretch you just learn the value of like the world and i i I think it also adds a lot to the narrative like i mentioned with those scenes with Melina, even like a scene like meeting buck the seamster and then finding him later and like you know uh or an early B in his quest as he tries to go to the cave and, and kind of gets his ass kicked and avenging him, like showing this creature kindness with with such little power. That beat of a scene felt unique, given my current builds, you yes, know, like totally. this character going out of his way to help this creature he doesn't know with a club that really warmed my heart, even though I was the one doing it. Like it felt like a story was being told outside of my intention even.
0: Yeah. And I also want to say, I don't think it's wrong Per se, to look online and like figure out you know the best build that you can possibly have or like how to spec into things because these games, I mean, everything that FromSoft makes at this point, I would say in a post probably Dark Souls one, maybe even Demon Souls, but I think specifically like post Dark Souls one world, FromSoft is making games with the understanding that people will share all of this knowledge on the internet. You know, like they they expect you to go online and figure out like oh cool the Moonvale Katana is probably like the best sword you can get for this specific build, et cetera, et cetera. But something about playing as the Wretch specifically almost breaks you free of that and and leaves you open to just like the whims of circumstance right like whatever you happen to come across might be the thing that inspires what build you're gonna have you're not gonna sit down before the game even begins and google what is the best class to start Elden Ring with and read all of these think pieces about like specifically how you can spec yourself out if you start as the knight or the bandit or the samurai or whatever which you know can can influence a game that's best left to its own discovery right so I I I think the wretch kind of like breaking you free of that that loop is is really a, a special way of playing the game and even now Absolutely. even even playing as the knight i, th- I feel that way you know because I'm, I'm trying specifically to act off of my own impulse and my own knowledge of the world and the game that i've played before and try to like steer clear a little bit of what i know from the internet and like try to not google stuff that much if possible because i think playing this game is almost like an inherited memory is going to be really interesting and a really fun time but that having been said i do think there is a little bit of a of a credence to the idea that like oh yeah once you've experienced everything there might be a little bit lost i do i have to imagine that that's probably gonna be true i have to, of course yeah. i have to imagine like on this run specifically i probably won't finish the game and it reminds me a little bit of like you know the, the reason that people are so obsessive about spoilers in today's day and age is like a lot of a lot of like the biggest blockbusters in the world are made specifically to be shocking in a theater and then never consumed again right like there, there's a Really interesting. I think it was on Hot Ones of all places. I think I think Sean Evans asked Matt Damon, like, why are why don't movies like the ones you used to make in like the 90s and early 2000s exist anymore? And he was essentially just like the DVD business went away, like movies were meant to be released and then make some money in theaters, and maybe not all of it, and then eventually get released on DVD, and then they would make all their money back and become cult hits and whatever, because there was a second life that we were, you know, leading towards of, like, repeat viewings, and movies were made to be consumed multiple times as people searched for meaning in them, which was, you know, maybe a, a simplification of the actual, like, Hollywood system, obviously. But Elden Ring and, and the FromSoft games specifically do feel built to be Experience and discovered like for the first time luckily there is the dvd life cycle of a fromsoft game where every time you play it you're gonna encounter things in weird interesting ways and that's that's where i think this game really excels even amongst all the other fromsoft stuff in the world is like you will never have the same eldering experience more than once you could start as the knight every single time and some some whim will take you east instead of west the next time you play it and you you will constantly have yeah. that experience forever
1: it's like retelling a myth you know it's going to be a little bit different each exactly. time yeah and i've I just found this playthrough to be much more relaxing as well i think there was a evil stress in my first run at a certain mm. point like everything post lane dell felt like i just needed to finish it i felt the exact same way yeah yeah and part of that was for the episode and part of that was like at that point i was so gripped by the narrative i just really wanted to see how it ended yeah i didn't really have the same appetite for like what's over here i just you know wanted to see it through and this time i'm like really just taking my time soaking it all in and i i feel like i have a much more meditative approach to the bosses like honestly uh margit still gave me trouble but like i knew i was going to beat him eventually because i already have so it didn't feel as draining the first time. I also want to circle back and say, like, if you are someone who does like min max these games and go in researching perfect builds, like, that's a totally valid way to enjoy the game as well. I think, yeah, the strength of this game is that you can appreciate it in any style you want. Like, we just said, like, you can go in as the wretch and be totally removed from that or you can go in with the plan my only uh source of tension with that is i think there's a group of people online that say like that's the only way to play or like you know that there is a right way to play and that's where i push against that ideology but i think yeah there's no wrong way to enjoy elden ring is is really what we're getting at and i think I I knew from the beginning that this is going to be an all-timer for me, but I'm now realizing that this will be a game that I revisit kind of like Skyrim, which I wasn't expecting. This might be a game I just sort of like return to every now and then. And I think part of that is like, the world is nice. Like I do, I do revisit Bloodborne, but I usually bounce at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like I like, I like this sort of familiar beats of that opening. And for whatever reason, Bloodborne has, has ironed itself in my head. So like the beginning to Father Gascoigne, I just steamroll through. Yeah, same. But once I get to the Starved Beast, and then I have to hunt for like, potions somewhere else for that fight. That's like where I stopped. playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Elden Ring, I think is just a more, somehow it's a more inviting world to explore than past entries. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, you know, it's absolutely beautiful, obviously. And the thing that really strikes me on this play as well is, is the music. The music is, you know, I, yeah. I really always loved it, but I didn't appreciate how much it settled me. I think, you know, the mo- yeah. the moments in between the fights, you know, when you're just hearing like the ambiance of the world and, and, and the, like really sparse music almost breath of the wild adjacent in terms of how sparse it is i, I feel like i think i think it's really a, a powerful motivator in wanting to keep you in the space yeah. And, uh, and, and it's the reason I think that you would want to go back to it the same way you would Skyrim. I feel the exact same way. I mean, it does weirdly feel like I'm scratching the same itch of like, I just know this world really well. I like it and it feels inviting, even though it's like known for its crushing difficulty. It does feel yeah. like the kind of place that you would want to hang out in the same way you would the world of Tamriel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the harshness of the world makes those moments of calm feel so much more precious. It's honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I know comparisons to Breath of the Wild are inevitable. But like I think Breath of the Wild is often talked about as this like cozy, calming game, and it's brutal that game is full of link dying in the most unceremonious ways possible it's not violent but like you're gonna die a lot more in that game than any other zelda game except for maybe the first one but like that game in some ways has the same design philosophy it's just presented in a much friendlier way Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. there's still the blood moons there's still like the same level of adversity but again it's to serve the moments of quiet where you're just climbing a mountain or in one of the towns that feels really real and that's what you leave the experience remembering and like that's why you want to go back yeah you somehow forget the adversity and only remember the good times which is uh kind of like life if you <laughs> ask me so anyway uh Elden Ring is good that's just what I wanted to say again out loud that's really
0: cool I, I, I think I, I think I agree with you <laughs>
1: More on that in December, the coldest month. Actually, not really. (laughs) February is.
0: Do you want to take a small break and move on to other stuff? I would love to do that, Stephen. Thank you to Elden Ring. Talk to you later. Thanks, Elden Ring.
1: Thanks, Melina. Thanks, Torrent. Thanks, Bach. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Brendan. Stephen. It's October 2nd. At the time of this recording, I have a a tasteful cold, a slightly stuffy nose. Mm. It's (laughs) It's crisp autumn air outside. Yeah. You know what season it is. I do. AJ, please tastefully play the public domain Haunted Ska. We're back. It's spooky season. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about the game that we brought to this episode today. This is a game that I think has been
0: one of what is this? I'm I'm sorry. I'm holding up a pumpkin spice latte to to the camera oh, that's for what it is. To I'm see. like. What is this receipt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking a pumpkin spice latte. I decided I, I yeah. knew today was day one of Spooky Season. I was like I, I should get into the the Halloween spirit and drink a, a PSL, which I won't dunk on. I'm glad we're past <laughs> dunking on the pumpkin spice latte. By the way, I'm glad that people have just at least in my in my purview, people have stopped doing that. I feel like we've accepted that like maybe it's okay to treat yourself, maybe. It's okay to have a thing that makes you happy.
1: Yeah, I have two points on that. One, I think the main gripe was like it's not pumpkin. It's like of course everyone knows it's not pumpkin. It's just <laughs> whole milk and sugar. Get over it. Yeah. Uh, the second is I think everyone secretly enjoyed it but couldn't admit it. So there was this like this uh, initial wave of self mockery to have this like shield of defense that you could enjoy it but you're mocking it. So it's okay. Mm. Now we can just embrace it. We're past it. We've all grown. Yeah. Up.
0: Maybe, maybe earnestness should beat uh, should beat mockery how about that maybe <laughs> how
1: about that
0: maybe maybe fucking enjoy something instead of taking uh, yourself <laughs> in as much irony as there is pumpkin spice mix in your latte how about that how about that? I really love this time of year. I really like. I feel
1: like in October, I've since we started doing Can't help the show. My fucking soapbox, we can talk about video games.
0: <laughs> Push.
1: Yeah. Every, sometimes you just need a hard cut. You know, it's not. It's not a. It's not a metric quality on the bit. Sometimes you just need to immediately. So yeah. Sometimes you need to smash the eject button. Get the cane and pull off stage. <laughs> oh shit! Brendan's doing ventriloquism again. Get the cane. <laughs> How about mockery instead of earnestness? Who the dummy now see anyway i love this time of year i for whatever reason never really dress up for halloween like even as a kid i just never i never could commit to a costume in time and then when i do it'd be like a really bad idea that goes so badly i never want to do it again so like one year i dressed up as a bear dressed up as a bear so i had like A bear suit and a bear mask. Like no one liked it or thought it was cool or funny. And neither did I.
0: I think that's cool and funny. Just hearing about it.
1: Yeah, it's cool if you say that's what you are. But just seeing a man dressed as two bears is a little little weird. (laughs) Even if I don't directly participate. This is the time of year where I usually throw a big party. Uh, I love like hosting events For this, like, you know, it's just very fun. I also just like the lead up to the end of the year in general. I love the fall. And when we started the show, I I made a mission for myself at least to play kind of Halloween-ish games. But I kind of, I don't want to say chickened out because everyone has their own comfort levels with horror stuff. But I didn't know or think that horror was for me. Mm -hmm. So, like, in our first season, I think I brought Night in the Woods and Oxenfree to the show, which are both, like, extremely Halloween-ish games, totally. you know. Yeah good picks and we had a fun time talking about them but I think I was like in my head not fully conscious of whether or not I could do like full-blown horror and for whatever reason Mm. I want to say like either 2020 or 2021 I pushed myself so that's when I streamed Alien Isolation and Resident Evil Biohazard it's very similar to the times where as a kid I really was afraid of roller coasters and I didn't think they were for me and then I finally just said you know what I'm gonna go on like the scariest one Mm. and see how i do so i went on nitro uh for those who know six flags great adventure nitro is the roller coaster where you're going up this giant hill and as you go up there are signs like you are now higher than the statue of liberty you're now higher than the eiffel tower yeah like and you're getting this great
0: view Of the Pine Barrens. Yeah. The scariest place in New Jersey.
1: (laughs) The scariest place in New Jersey. This is The spooky season of roller coasters is Nitro, for sure. Even more than the actually Halloween-named ones. (laughs) The first drop of Nitro is, like, so crazy. And I loved it. I went on it, like, a few times after. And then at at that point, I just went on everything. Mm. And I had the best time. So Alien Isolation was my Nitro for horror games. Where, like, that game is terrifying. But I streamed it, and I had a really fun time like even though I was on the edge of my seat like chat was having a great time I really liked sharing it it felt like being at a scary movie together I think streaming it helps a lot like I don't know if I was just like by myself if I could do it but what I've also learned is that horror is such a huge genre even for games like it's kind of like saying you don't like rock it's like what does that mean like there's Mm -hmm, so many mm -hmm. different examples of that so i'm really grateful that i push myself because now i feel like when it's this time of year i go out of my way to play different kinds of horror games and you know halloween-esque games so Resident Evil Village came out last year. We both loved that. So I'm, I'm all in. I, and I have a fun lineup for this year. Yeah. What is it? What's your lineup? Yeah. So I did actually make a playlist on Backlog.com of games that I just want to check out this season. Not necessarily stream, but those are just like games i've decided to try to play this month um but in terms of what i'm streaming yesterday so this this will already be on our youtube by the time this episode comes out uh yesterday i screamed i screamed god damn it i really didn't mean to do that i screamed (laughs) yesterday i streamed inscription which we'll be talking about shortly uh which was a lot of fun uh next week so this coming friday when this episode comes out the seventh i'll be streaming doom 2016 at 8 p.m. Central Time the following week uh, on Friday, October 14th at 8 p.m. Central Time. I'll be streaming Ebe, the recent remake of a 2012 RPG Maker horror game that's like a cult yeah.
0: classic. Really excited to play that. I'm excited. I'm excited to see that one. Yeah,
1: yeah. That'll be via my Steam Deck, although that is coming to Switch next year. If you're curious about that. Mm-hmm. The next week, Friday, October 21st at 8 p.m., I'll be streaming Silent Hill 2. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I haven't played it since 2013, so I'm excited to go back and uh, relive the horror with James. Uh, and then on <laughs> (laughs) halloween monday october 31st at 10 p.m central time i'll be streaming the dlc of resident evil village the self-contained story shadows of rose and uh, i'm hoping i've read that that's a four to six hour game so i might try to do it all in one go that would be so exciting yeah because most of these I'm, i'm keeping to like 90 minutes to two hours but that one i think would be fun to potentially do the whole thing in one go maybe
0: i'll maybe i'll take off work on on november 1st just so i could Ooh. stay up and watch the whole thing <laughs>
1: hell yeah so
0: that's the plan so just to go
1: through uh inscription doom Eeb, silent hill 2 and resident evil village shadows of
0: rose was really exciting um, so that's twitch.tv slash into the cast or, or go to into the cast that online if you don't I feel like typing that in. You, you, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about that. That's going to be really fun. Should we also mention, while we're talking about plans, spooky season plans, should we talk about our, our bonus for this month? Oh, yes. So
1: usually in October, we'll also have the bonus be like kind of Halloween themed. So yeah. our first one was Bloodborne. Then we did the Batman trilogy, I believe. Yeah. And then we did uh, the Luigi's Mansion trilogy, if you want to call it that, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. These games are awesome. I do want to call it that also. Yeah, the the mansion trilogy, Uh, the doors, Uh, (laughs) what do real fans call it? Anyway, this month for our bonus for October, we will be doing a duo in a sense. Yeah, very grindhouse of us. Very grindhouse of us. We will be covering Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So it will be the metroidvania episode yeah uh those are the two games that essentially led to the term we hear all the time now i have actually not played either of them Mm. i've recently started both but up until now i have not played either of them which makes me a poser uh (laughs) and i cannot wait to earn my stripes yeah because i metroid i got into more recently technically my first metroid was uh metroid prime three on the wii but i feel like that was a good
0: teenage dream I had I don't mm. really like remember it at all I liked it that's a good game I think that game gets dunked on more than it more than it should I, th- I think that game rules I really enjoyed it I honestly
1: also liked the motion controllers at the time I Me don't know too. if I would still Loved feel it. that way but I thought that they were fun yeah so that was my first one but I don't think that's like you know it's a different style of metroid it's kind of like your first zelda being like zelda 2 it's like a little bit different Mm. or maybe closer majora's mask would be a better analogy there but uh my first like i'm gonna play and get into metroid was fusion uh for the game boy advance episode Mm. we did and i love fusion which seems to be a very divisive entry so all that to say now that i'm like you want to talk horror
0: though fusion yeah fusion big horror game yeah so all that to say, uh, I'm really excited to
1: play Super Metroid, which is like, you know, where they figured out. It's like the a link to the past of Metroid. It's like where they figured out what makes a Metroid game. Mm-hmm. And Symphony of the Night, I mean, my first big Castlevania as a kid was Aria of Sorrow, which is very similar. But I'm really excited to go back and play the Castlevania game that made that formula. Right. Um, so I think that will be a really fun episode. I'm, I'm curious to see where we'll land on both games, because this is one of those bonuses where we're kind of giving ourselves homework in a way. Not that it won't be fun, but that like we're like, okay, we owe it to ourselves to experience. These classics, and you know, talk about them and the experience how it was in 2022.
0: I played Super Metroid back on the Wii U Virtual Console, or it might have even been the Wii Virtual Console. I forget which one, um, but it was one, one of the one of the Wii Virtual Consoles. I played Super Metroid, <laughs> and I liked it. Enough. I'm a big fan of Metroid, as I've mentioned on the show. I played all of them. Yeah, I I, I really like these games a lot. Uh, Super Metroid, I don't hold in as high esteem as I think most do. I, I find a lot of the like game design to be archaic, although I appreciate what it has done for the Genre and for the rest of the series, but I am excited to replay it because it's been a really, it's been like at least 10 years since I played it. I think think that'll be really cool to go back. Symphony of the Night, I've tried starting before. I I remember launching it. I think it was, I think it's on the PlayStation 4 store, right? Like you could get it like from the PSN store back in that era. You can
1: get, so if you're curious of of picking it up on a modern console, you can get Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night are like a pack on the PlayStation 4. I'm going to do that. Yeah. uh, Which is sick. And then uh, the Xbox. 360 version is available on the series snx okay great the big difference is that the playstation version is a port of the psp version which slightly changes the voice acting and script so like this game is infamously localized very poorly so for example in the opening scene in the psp version dracula says essentially like Mankind is a cesspool of lies, something like that. But the line we got originally was,
0: What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough talk. How about you. An immortal phrase. Yeah. You know what? We've talked about this on the show before because I remember thinking immediately that is a way cooler line anyway. <laughs> so I'm definitely gonna play the original version. That's I, okay. You, you've settled this yeah. in my head. I was about to ask which one we should play, which one we should recommend people play, and that's gonna be the one. But that having been said, I, I, I do like you could, if you have a Steam Deck or something, like it's pretty easy to emulate the original yeah, yeah. Symphony of the Night. So it's it's like achievable.
1: So anyway, that's going to be the bonus. I'm really, really excited about that one. And uh, we'll keep you posted when that will be coming out.
0: Cool. Well, now that we've cool. got all our plans out of the way uh, for spooky season, in this spooky season segment, I, I would say the scariest thing of all is making plans.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I would agree with you. Google,
1: yeah. Calendar, and uh, Excel really get to me these yeah, days.
0: Yeah, the, the, the folly of life will always unseat your best laid plans. Let's talk about Inscription, a game that you played last night for the first time. I do want to mention this because people, people have been asking us since Inscription came out for us to play Inscription, and you and I didn't have a way of playing it. I think it's worth noting for a really long time because it was PC only, as noted many times, especially recently. We didn't have PCs uh, that we could play games on for the entirety of us doing the show, at least. So we were really just locked down to like is this thing on consoles of which we have all three or is this thing available for Mac which it wasn't until pretty recently so now it's on Mac and Linux and on consoles except for the Switch it's coming to Switch eventually I don't know when um, but, but they've announced it's coming to Switch thankfully but you played it on PlayStation devices last night for the first time I did a weird thing a couple months ago before it was on Mac or Linux or on consoles I was like I really need to play Inscription because people keep asking us to play Inscription I need to know like I just ha- I I had to figure out some way of doing it and I was I was going to figure out a way of doing it. And I I discovered through Googling a thing that I really should have been aware of, but wasn't called NVIDIA GeForce Now, which is a streaming service that NVIDIA has where you can pay a certain amount of money a month and you can get any game that's available on. Well, not any, but like a lot of games that are available on Steam and for PC specifically and stream them Kind of like uh, Xbox cloud gaming or like streaming stuff from your, uh, like on PlayStation Now or whatever, you can just stream them to whatever device you want. So I played Inscription, the PC version of, of Inscription, on my Mac in like April, probably <laughs> like months oh, and wow. months ago, and uh, played most of it. Didn't finish it. I want to be clear, but played most of it, and and I I want to put like a big, heavy like emphasis on most because I've I've seen the shit that people want us to see. Uh, we're not going to talk about it in depth because we don't want to spoil it for others because this is like a recent console release, um, and 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 this is a game that's best experienced again, kind of like Elden Ring. Just kind of like go in with almost nothing just like no it's going to be kind of a spooky time but you and i will talk about the beginning of inscription right now
1: yeah so i streamed the opening two hours ish and that's all i played so i didn't play more of it after i was tempted to but i'm like i feel like i reached a nice breaking point there i definitely get the hype i i will admit this is probably one of the most requested games like people are usually pretty chill about Telling us to play stuff except for inscription. (laughs) Except for inscription. It's it's like the one time where it was like almost annoying. And like, you know, it's not anyone's fault if you love something, but I was like, I get it. And there was part of me that was like ready to write it off just because it had been like hyped up for so long. And so many people were telling me to play it that like my inner lizard brain, snobby 19 year old was like, it's probably not that good. You know, there was a (laughs) voice in my head that was ready to do that. Yeah. And it's just, it's so immediately gripping and so immediately. Really just fresh. Like it feels like a really unique take on a genre that is very, very popular. Mm. So at its core, it's a deck builder and what I know about Inscription is that it has a sort of deck builder component, but there's also sort of a lingering mystery and that there's more than meets the eyes. So I knew that mm-hmm. it kind of... It's not a huge spoiler to say that there's like meta elements here. When you turn the game on, there's like a recording of a guy like with a game called Inscription and like the icon for the game on your dashboard is like a floppy disk icon. So like...
0: Yeah. When you go to start the game, it makes you hit continue and not new game. You can't start a new game. Yeah. Like there, there's little elements like that like right at the top just to kind of unseat you from your from your comfort this is also the same developer who made pony island which i haven't played
1: but that game the trailer is like this game is possessed by satan or something so like (laughs) you know i knew that that was that that's happening but pretty much everything else all the details i i went in completely blind which i would recommend if you're playing this go in as blind as possible because i think the way this game begins you're essentially at a table like in this very Evil Dead 2 cabin in the woods. And you see these glowing eyes across the table, who is this person that you're playing cards against. And they essentially are both your opponent and also kind of the dungeon master, where like the game will pivot between sort of a magic the gathering uh i, I, I kept facetiously comparing it to Oh on the stream but like it's not unlike that because <laughs> in order to play cards you have to sacrifice others mm-hmm. so like uh, early on you learn that you, there's a whole deck of just squirrels and then there's the deck that you're drawing your cards from and squirrels are essentially a zero one creature that is meant to be sacrificed yeah. so you'll
0: see like they're just fodder for other more interesting yeah.
1: There's a there's like a blood count on each card that is the number of sacrifices required. So you're learning the rules of this card game, but you're also being put in this position where like you are playing as a person who is trapped against their will in this cabin by this guy so in between moments of playing cards and then there's also like a slay the spire-esque map that's put on the table where there are like beats of a journey you can go through and the guy across the table who's just glowing eyes but occasionally puts on masks uh will narrate like what happens and he'll ask you to do weird things so like there might be like oh like you come across this altar where like you can sacrifice one of your cards and give another card that power and ability or whatever but when he puts down the map you can actually just get up from the table and walk around and explore the cabin and there's a bunch of like sort of escape room-esque uh contraptions and cryptic things and honestly that's the part of the game that i i think i really loved the card game but i think that having both elements like really compliment the other like having this sense of unease and urgency and like okay i need to learn this card game and i need to be good at the card game but i also need to like get keep the, fuck an eye here. In the door yeah. and get the hell out of here yeah uh, and what really is cool is early on one of your cards starts talking to you and there are a couple cards that like are trying to help you escape Which is really cool. And I think the dialogue, it reminds me a lot of Undertale, honestly, just in the sense of humor and like the sort of really well done balance of tone where like I wouldn't say this is like a horror horror game, but it's very I I compared to Evil Dead 2 in the sense that like it's definitely got a dark sense of humor. And it's very goofy and grotesque, but it's it's wanting you to feel uneasy. You know, I, I did scream at one point in the stream, yeah. uh, which isn't hard to scare me, but this game did scare me a little bit. But overall, it feels like, it's a nice balance it's a nice blend of all those elements and the moments that are i think made to be the most shocking are more unsettling than scary there's not really a lot of jump scares it's more like like for example one of the big things is when you lose a game you wake up in like this weird room in the cabin and the guy takes a picture of you and you have to make a card that's named after yourself. So then all of a sudden I have a card <laughs> in the deck named Steven that like pretty good card, uh, but it's <laughs> okay. So are these talking cards like ghosts? Like, are they other people trapped in this place? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to become a card? I already am in some ways in, in in your deck. You'll just mysteriously have like other named characters where it's like, Oh, well, who was, th- was this someone who was here before. And like, as you play, there's a nice balance of like, eventually I kind of figured out, okay, like, should I take a break and explore the cabin? Should I go back and play more of the card game? Yeah. They actually do aid the other. And if, you, if, you take, if you're a little bit lost with the puzzle element, the talking cards will like eventually point you in a direction that doesn't solve the puzzle, but it like gives you the tools you need. So right. essentially like early on, there's a safe that's like shaking and there's clearly something in the safe. And I kept thinking like, okay, like, well, there's definitely... A combination somewhere is it like there's a clock nearby like is it the arms of the clock does it have to match mm-hmm.
0: that mm-hmm.
1: and eventually one of the talking creatures like just told me where the clue was and then i could do the rest myself yeah so i think that as someone who like i think this game has the pitfall of, of getting you like really stuck like games like this you know it has a little bit of that point and click adventure dna in some ways Mm -hmm, where like mm -hmm. you have to figure out what works with what to progress i think the game does a pretty good job at making things visible but not outright spelling the solution
0: yeah the thing that's important to keep in mind about inscription at least in the form that it was originally released in is that it wants you to see all of it like inscription wants you to beat Inscription, which I think is is an important thing to keep in mind. So those moments when the cards like chime in and, and will kind of point you in the right direction of some of the clues, that really is because they want you to like progress. They want you to see all that there is. They want you to feel the, the holy shit moments that people keep alluding to when they ask us to play Inscription. And... As much as I love that, I love the card game even more, and that's kind of my yeah. <laughs> that's kind of my biggest issue with Inscription. At least until recently, is like I really love the card game, and and the card game is meant to be beaten. Like it is it is built as if it's like a a, a rogue like deck builder in, akin to something like a Slay the Spire with more Yu Gi Oh trappings, as you were mentioning. But at the end of the day, like the card game is is built to be is built to be beaten. Like you are supposed to get to the end of a run eventually, and when that happens, you know more stuff happens in the video game, and thank thankfully they've released an update for the game that lets you just play that as if it's a deck building roguelike forever oh no which, way that's really what cool. i'm really excited about um i do want to i do want to get to the end of inscription as i said i have i haven't like finished it finished it but i do feel the pull to check out i think i think it's called casey's mod or something like that but whatever it's called i I do want to check that out eventually and just see how that feels because honestly like i'm playing this uh, i guess for the second time now on the steam deck i picked it up and started playing it while you were streaming it because i was like really feeling the pull to also experience it and for some reason it didn't pull my cloud save data from steam from the nvidia now thing that i had done so i did have to start from scratch which is a little bit of a bummer but i also remembered how a lot of the puzzles were solved like pretty quickly which allowed me to progress much faster but immediately I, i felt like the pull of of the world and and the aesthetic of the game i mean the game looks unbelievable I, it, oh I, it's so
1: cool we, yeah.
0: we allude to the the cuphead moment of of an older xbox event pretty frequently uh the, the moment in which they showed a sizzle reel of all the games coming to xbox and they showed cuphead for about eight seconds it was all anyone could talk about even against like a new gears of war and a new halo and a new forza it was like what is that game that we saw six seconds of uh wh- when is that coming out inscription was a similar thing when inscription was first announced i just remember everyone being like what the fuck is this? At, yeah, because uh, you just see like two scary eyes in the dark turning into glowing orange spirals as it says the weirdest shit you've ever heard in your life and then it was also a card game <laughs> uh, yeah. which and 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 that was just really really enticing and I, I think the game the game is as good as everyone says if you haven't played inscription like just go check it out it's on like most things now as we said except for switch it's the only place it's not available right now but it is coming to switch and i'm enjoying playing it on steam deck specifically because it just feels like i have the switch version early which is really cool this game is going to be very good in handheld mode and I think really good on the OLED Switch specifically for those of you who have that because the I have to imagine those like true blacks of like the, the shadows in which the eyes are are, are floating oh, yeah it's going to be really cool on an OLED display
1: what I was surprised by is I, I got it on PlayStation kind of just to be able to stream it yeah and I was like I wonder this is not an ideal way to play this but they actually do use a lot of the feedback in the shoulder buttons so like for example and cool your turn you have to hit r2 yeah and they make that progressively harder to pull down Uh, so like (laughs) you really feel like okay this is a big decision like me ending my turn it's so cool i think it's really brilliant even like only two hours in i know like i feel like i might fall in your camp or like as the game continues to focus more on the mystery i wonder if i'll miss that focus of like the card game and the cabin exploration but also from what i know this game is like 10 ish hours so it doesn't seem to be too long yeah so i think like that short length probably helps it in in terms of that focus and execution
0: yeah i think and and this is this is me Not spoiling anything again, to be clear, but I think you'll be surprised at where the game goes, because even knowing because of all the people asking us to play it and all of the discussion about it from last year, as people were saying, like, this is probably one of the best games of the year, et cetera, et cetera. In all of those kind of vague discussions, I I think you're kind of given uh, little bits of information that your your brain is going to try and fill in and you're going to think like, oh, I wonder where this game goes. And I will say that I think you'll be surprised specifically where the game goes. I think I think it will subvert the thing that you have in your head in terms of what it's going to become. Because I had a whole painting of it in my head of like, well, it's going to be this for a while, then it's, this, then it's going to be this, and then it's going to be this, and then it's going to be this. Probably, if I had to guess, and it, it completely different than what I was anticipating. Um, cool. and I'm excited for you to get there, and I have to honestly, I think what we should probably do is if you give it more time to be clear, and like if if you eventually like bounce from it, you're like maybe not, we don't have to do this. But if you do give it more time, we should come back and do like an explicit spoiler discussion about it because I, I would yeah, I would like to. to talk to you specifically about it because even right now, like sitting here, I'm I'm I. I want to talk about some of the stuff that happens in it yeah um, because I can't I don't feel like I can fully give my opinion of this game without talking about the stuff that happens later because the things I'm more critical of are all like deep 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 spoiler shit Uh, so right now the part that you're at I'm like inscriptions one of the best games of all time baby like I I love that shit that card game is so good I love the prospector and the dark really good stuff um, I love the escape room stuff like it's all really good. But I, I, I would like to talk a little bit more about about where where I push and pull against inscription, I think, over time.
1: Yeah, at least in the opening hours, my, my pitch for the tone of the game is like, again, to cite Evil Dead 2, there's a scene in that movie where Bruce Campbell is in this haunted house and essentially like everything possible has gone wrong. And he's like. So defeated and bloody on the floor. And then the whole, everything in the room starts laughing at him. And then eventually he starts laughing with them and then starts crying. <laughs> this is like <laughs> out of desperation. And like that scene to me just describes the feeling of playing Inscription. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I know this entire setting is out to get me, and I just have to roll with the joke at this point because yeah, I, I am powerless totally. it's it's really fun it's it's also perfect for october it's not really I haven't found that it's like again it's more unsettling than horrific if that's a concern but yeah it's honestly they the the developer this game really knows magic well there's so many (laughs) things that are just from magic the gathering you know from other collectible card games so like it's cool to see such like a cursed version of that yeah (laughs) you know and eventually there are beats where the game has enough restraint that like the music comes down the music is incredible the whole presentation is great but the music slows down and you actually do find yourself just focused solely on the match there are moments of the stream where i sometimes forgot the mystery and i forgot that i'm trying to get out of here and i was like okay what's the best move and like i like that that game has that kind of pacing that ebb and flow of tension yeah and things are broadcast enough for like what is considered boss battles are essentially like the guy's gonna cheat hardcore like in a normal in a normal match like he's fine but like when it's a boss battle he's going to cheat in a new way so for example the stream ended uh he and he has different masks for different characters in this like story he's telling so Mm -hmm. he puts on a mask where he's like uh the angler or something and everything's like very underwater and stuff and he has a hook where he just takes one of your cards after your turn yeah whenever so he like, wants yeah <laughs> it's broadcast but and you know and you can kind of use that strategically because you have to sacrifice so many cards you can be like, okay I want to sacrifice the one he's trying to take but still it's like there's a whole there's a whole new layer of it that's so inherently unfair And thankfully you're given tools that are kind of meant to also cheat which is fun like one of the one of the pickups you can get is a backpack full of weird items that like one of them are just scissors where you can cut up one of his cards and just like remove it from the game yeah so stuff like that other other things i won't spoil because there's some really fun reveals with those items yeah but it's it's just really cool i i definitely want to play through all of it and uh maybe we'll talk about spoilers one day soon
0: yeah i'd like to uh it's inscription's really good it's a really cool game i i, I really do like it a lot I, I know i was just talking about how i have some stuff i'm critical of but i mean that doesn't that doesn't stop the fact that i, I think it's brilliant and i really like it uh, and and I think you should check it out, dear dear listener, if you if you haven't yet. Totally, I agree. Can I talk about a, a spooky season game Please. I've been playing as well? Um, another one that has been requested of us, uh, not as much as inscription, but a couple of people have asked us if we if we were going to check this out. Um, and it was a thing that I didn't think I would check out. Honestly, like I I, I looked at it on Steam and thought like maybe that's not for me, and uh, picked it up anyway because <laughs> I mean half of this show is us just like trying to combat our preconceived notions about what games we like. Yeah, absolutely. So. This game is called Proteus, P-R-O-D-E-U-S, not Proteus, P-R-O-T-E-U-S, which is a different indie game from like the PlayStation Vita era that I also really liked. But this is a game called Proteus. It's been in early access for a couple of years, as it turns out. I had had not heard of it until it launched out of early access this week um, on Steam and is also available on Xbox and PlayStation, which is pretty cool. I would say that it is a Doom-like video game. Uh, It is Doom by way of like Doom 1, like the original Doom and Doom 3, as if the two of them have like merged together in some kind of unholy union um, because (laughs) it has all of the like lighting and visual aesthetic and 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 I would say like tension of Doom 3, which I said this in my video about it on on our YouTube channel, but like Doom Three is my favorite Doom. Weirdly enough, like I, I have since learned that that's actually a hot take based on the comments in that video. <laughs> but I always really liked Doom Three. I, th- I thought taking that taking that game, which you know is built from the ground up, or taking that franchise, which is built from the ground up to be like this kind of hectic, frenetic kind of you know uh, romp through hell, uh, but being like as metal as possible about it. Taking that and trying to do a more horror slant on that was a really cool idea. And of course, although that game is a survival horror game for most of it, it does become the Doom you know and love by the end of it because eventually like you get into hell, you get the BFG, you start like going wild with it and the game ramps up very slowly i, th- I think that that i think the doom 3 is really interesting in its pacing because it, it wants to be one game until it's another kind of game and and that that growth is really interesting i think
1: that reminds me a lot of resident evil 4 where like the, yeah. the four areas in that game like the village is very much survival horror like mm-hmm. definitely the scariest area and sets the tone well and then the castle's like little cheesier a little more classic resident evil yeah and then the island is just just michael bay like it's just a pure action movie <laughs> yes from that point on and in that game it really works you know and i think like resident evil 4 to me always serves as a microcosm of what resident evil does well Mm -hmm. village Mm -hmm. was very similar where like there were distinct areas that were all different takes on a resident evil game yeah and uh yeah i I, i'm really excited following that up to see what shadows of rose does from the trailers it looks like they're taking kind of a more silent hill approach which to me reads as like okay this is a dlc story is this them like testing out a newer direction direction for the series to move in mm-hmm. post village because in some ways village feels like a swan song of like here's everything we can do well but what's next mm. you know so I wonder if Shadows of Rose is them testing that but regardless what you said about Doom 3 reminded me of that so
0: yeah I am, I'm very yeah. interested in Shadows of Rose I'm really excited to talk about it uh, yeah it's, it's gonna be fun yeah anyway Doom 3 leans very heavily in its early hours into aesthetic and that that aesthetic is in Proteus like in spades the, the like dark corridors with one flashing light that's kind of like you know reflecting down these metallic hallways they like really lean into that but they also simultaneously use pretty heavy like pixel art textures for all of the surfaces and the environments and the enemies that you're fighting and, and the objects in the world. And in those ways, it feels like the original doom in ways that are really cool. And, and this halfway point between those two visual styles meshes really well, I think in Proteus, I think, I think it's a really like stellar uh, visual identity that this game has kind of cooked up. It reminds me a little bit of a game I played last year, actually called into the pit on, on Xbox. Oh yeah. They're kind of, yeah. kind of a similar thing, but definitely, you know, more doom adjacent. So anyway, The game is essentially just built from the ground up to be kind of like Doom, but it has more of a Metroidvania progression style where you will go and do distinct levels just like the original Doom and people can make their own levels, which is also really cool. It's a whole second thing. It's a whole second life that this game is going to take on, I think, as people start to build levels around it. But... What they've set up at least in, in what you download when you first play Proteus is a series of levels that slowly become more and more like Metroidvania's and become these like really intricate Hallways and and series of spaces that wrap in on themselves and you need to get like specific color coded key cards to get into new zones, whatever, whatever, as they continue to throw enemies at you. And that's where the game gets like really frenetic and kind of takes on a life of its own, I think, Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, I I wrote wrote this on the thumbnail of the YouTube video, but I I went into this thinking like, is this going to be a Doom cover band? You know, like, am am I am I at my (laughs) local bar seeing somebody play Bruce Springsteen songs when Bruce Springsteen's voice (laughs) is like really specific, you know, like you can't always sound like Bruce Springsteen. I thought that's what this was going to be initially. And it's kind of why I wasn't super into checking it out. But this game is really trying to do something very different. I would say, number one, it's a lot easier than those games are, which I I actually like. They have a whole bunch of difficulty options that you can go and, and mess with. Um, And they have, I think, seven to choose from when you start the game, you know, between easy and the hardest one. But the big thing about this game is that when you die, you just go back to a spawn point and you unlock all these checkpoints throughout the level because they want you to keep progressing. So anytime you die, there's really no like... There's no fear of death in that way. So you can go in and just go like guns a blazing, be the wildest person you can possibly be in this space that is asking you to just like rip through demons. Um, And if you die, that's fine. You go back, you lose maybe a minute of progress. You know, like it's really it's really not that big of a deal. And I really like that about this game because that that's the kind of thing that's going to get me to want to keep moving forward because I constantly feel like I'm progressing. So all of that aside, the game is like extremely gory. The music is like really heavy and really good and will ramp up in moments when they want you to like sometimes, you know, you'll walk into a room and all the doors will close and they'll throw like 100 dudes at you and say like, good luck. And those moments are (laughs) exhilarating. And then when they're not doing that, there are these slow kind of alien isolation doom three moments of I'm making my way through this corridor and I might turn around and there's going to be a big zombie right there in front of me. And thankfully, you have a Shotgun that you could charge up and fire at will, so it's really not that scary. But you don't know what's going to happen at any point, and I think that tension between these two kinds of play are really, really well done in Proteus. Um, you know, for for a pretty small development team, they've managed to make a great game, and I really, really like it. It's available on Game Pass, I should mention, if you have an Xbox. Oh, cool. um So you can check it out there, which is actually where I played it for my video specifically. Was I, I redownloaded it and started from the beginning? But I've been playing it on the Steam Deck mostly. Um, And it runs really well. I like it a lot. It's Proteus. It sounds awesome. I'm really excited to uh, finally check out Doom 2016
1: as well, which I feel like my experience of Doom is really just the first one and Doom Eternal. And I I like what Eternal was doing, but I feel like it had some issues that sequels
0: fall into, where there were just some extraneous elements of it. Yeah, when you play it, it feels like an encore to 2016. Like, yeah. like Doom yeah. Eternal feels <laughs> like the band coming back on stage and, and doing a, a, another couple songs. Um, the boys
1: are back in town. Yeah, yeah exactly. But <laughs> Proteus sounds awesome. I might check that out once I'm fully onboarded to doom
0: yeah honestly i would maybe recommend playing it alongside doom 2016 like if, if you're gonna if yeah. you're gonna play doom 2016 uh, is that next week that's next week right that's next week yeah 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 download Proteus while you're at i mean they're both on game pass check them both out and, and see how you feel um do the first couple levels I, th- I think you'll be really surprised at how much you like it cool yeah i'm excited to check it out but that's uh that's spooky season for this week that's it Those are, those are video games. Fleet. <laughs> those are video games. I'm very
1: excited. Uh, so, yeah, next week I will be bringing Doom at the very least, but I'll probably bring a few more games that are on my playlist there. Um, there's one that is like a game I got on Itch that's essentially purposely made to look like a PS1 game. It even has a fake PS1 loading screen mm. that I'm very interested in. So potentially that one, but uh, I'll cool. report back next week.
0: Nice. Cool. I'm excited about that. Cool. Well, honestly, I mean, I had more games I want to talk about, we've been talking for a long time. Maybe we maybe we just wrap this one up. Save it for wrap next up. week.
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll uh have some restraint for once. Yeah, I will um, say
0: I'll, I'll do this as a lead in the to the next episode cuz I do want to I do really want to talk about this cuz it's very autumnal. It feels very it feels very right. Yes. And I mentioned this last week, but I have played every single story of Seasons game <laughs> over the past 2 weeks, and I really want to talk about them. Uh, so we'll get to that yeah. eventually
1: maybe in the in the meantime I'll pick up uh, at least one of them uh because I would love to I mean, we've been talking a lot about like town Sims life sim games like that, so um I think that'd be with a, a fun conversation. Do you have one now that you've played them all? Do you think like is there one you'd recommend at the very least?
0: Let's just do this. I played every single story <laughs> seasons game over the past two weeks i'll i'll boil I'll boil it down i'll I'll make sure it's it's a more condensed segment. Here's the thing. There's two of them that are available on the Switch right now. Sorry, there's technically 3. There's one of them that's called Doraemon Story of Seasons, which is like a spin-off. It's like it's based on the anime kind of Weirdly similar to um Shinchan, My Summer Vacation. Yeah. Um yeah. versus Boku no Natsuyasumi. Like kind of a kind of a similar thing. Doramon's Story of Seasons is like, we're gonna, you know, try and make this like big, kind of all-encompassing anime version of Story of Seasons uh really poorly received. Like so poorly received that I that's the one that I didn't play because people I I couldn't find really a lot of or even any positive discussion about that game yeah a bit I, that's the
1: thing it's like we we always go out of our way to give things a shot but if it's like a universally negative response yeah. like we can
0: we can skip it that. looks stunning i i think it looks really pretty but i i just can't do it uh so there are two that are on the switch right now one of them is story of seasons friends of mineral town and the other one is story of seasons pioneers of olive town friends of mineral town is literally the game that you and i played for the game boy advance episode yeah. Heart, so for those of you who don't know Story of Seasons is a rebranded version of Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon existed for a long time. There were, like, just, you should go on Wikipedia. It's wild. The, the, The breakdown of these companies that own the rights to these games is, like, really, really well documented and is absolutely wild. But where it all netted out was some company kind of unrelated to all of this now has the rights to Harvest Moon, and they're making really bad Harvest Moon games alongside the original company that now owns the rights to story of seasons, but also owns the back catalog of Harvest Moon and has been remaking old Harvest Moon games with story of seasons (laughs) branding, which is like, I know weird Ouroboros of ideas that I just went through very quickly, Um, that's kind of where we're at. So the first, and then there's the rune factory splinter, uh, the the branching path, Yes, which is the same company that's making the story of seasons games to be clear. Like that, that's all under the same umbrella. Um, which is interesting because it feels like they're kind of cannibalizing themselves a little bit there, but they're, they're going after different things. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about farming sims and life sims and town management stuff, especially based on people's reactions. I think to the Nintendo direct that happened recently where they showed a bunch of farm sims in a row. People were like, there's too many of these. And I thought to myself, I'm interested in what all of these are doing differently, but also had a nagging thought in the back of my head that was like, I don't actually really know what I like or dislike about farm sims. Like I, I played, (laughs) I played, you know, the harvest moon games for the game boy advance. I played a a, a bit of them for the DS when we did the DS bonus, but like didn't really click with them as much as I did with rune factory, which immediately hit me when I played rune factory three and I had played like stardew Valley and, and now the Harvestella demo. But I was like, I need to just like sit down and play what people consider to be like the farm sim game so i I got every story of seasons game uh on the 3ds and up um so i also got the two for switch what i'll tell you right now steven specifically and and maybe this will apply to dear listener but but this is for you i think that if you download friends of mineral town the story of seasons version on the switch. I think you'll have a good time, but you will immediately bump up against the fact that it is the exact same game as the game boy Advance version, just with different mm, graphics. I see. They, yeah, there are, there are some quality of life things that they've changed here and there, but it feels so similar to that game that I really did feel like I was replaying a game that I had already played before, um, which was a little bit of a bummer. That said pioneers of Olive town is like a wholly original, totally new thing that they're making totally different art style they're like really trying to get more ambitious i think with with what that title can be and what what story of seasons can be which i found really admirable but they also took a step back in some places so friends of mineral town is everything that you know and love right you're sitting down you're doing all your farming there's this like really kind of rich town that you can go and explore and really great characters who immediately are so like Presently interesting like as soon as you start talking to some people and they say like one line you're like I love you so much and yeah I, I'm gonna raise my friendship meter with you as much as I possibly can you
1: can tell that Stardew Valley pulled the most from that one
0: yes like having played a bunch of Harvest
1: Moons now like that is the one I mean the framing device is exactly the same you like work a dreary office job and then you know you're given the promise of this farm and yeah like all the townspeople have like there's the guy that like doesn't really have any friends and just goes to the church every day. Like mm-hmm. not even out of religious obligation, but just like is there to, just to be
0: somewhere. He can like be at peace. Yeah. And 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 the priest every once in a while is like, hey, can you go talk to him? Like, can you just like, you know, yeah. <laughs> can you deal with this like lame is extra? Yeah.
1: And then, you know, there's the doctor named Doctor. You gotta love him. Uh <laughs> but you're right. Like everyone is so immediately gripping. And the same way they are in Stardew Valley, where like Stardew Valley has kind of the uh the three houses approach where everyone is sort of an archetype, but then you unlock scenes with them and, and there's more going on. So there's like, I always really liked the jock in starter Valley who, you know, comes across like, Just a typical jock. And then you learn like he's got a lot more going on. He has this sort of tragic story and he lives with his grandparents. And there's like, you know, kind of a Steve Stranger Things redemption arc there. Um, Mm. So not that being a jock is a bad thing, but, you know, you can write him off easily if you don't get to know him well.
0: Yeah. You think he's going to be one note and he's two notes. And that's impressive. (laughs) He does. If you marry him,
1: which I did, he does change your wallpaper to like an Applebee's pattern of footballs and other sports (laughs) balls and it's it's reason enough for a a swift divorce i'll say that much about alex uh but anyway story of seasons
0: Uh, yeah so so friends of mineral town has all the stuff that you know and love it's just like presented in a much nicer way i think um and and that's gonna work for some people like if you haven't played those games you'll probably like it but in playing it i i felt a really strong sense of there's got to be a better version of this In terms of just like the farming, like the focus on the farming in that game, I think is pretty strong, but they're they're equally as focused on the relationship building in Friends of Mineral Town. And the farming doesn't feel very good, I think, in that game. And that's kind of my biggest issue is like it feels really similar to the way it did on the Game Boy Advance. But you and I both said in that bonus was like it's a miracle this game works like they use every button and there are combos of like I need to hold down the L button, then press B, then press the R button and then use my D pad to like choose an item like things like that. It
1: almost feels like a PC port to the Game Boy Advance where it's like there's not enough buttons for this
0: game. (laughs) Yes, Um, but it's miraculous that it works and it is really good. You and I both had a really good time with Friends of Mineral Town and more Friends of Mineral Town on the Game Boy Advance. But on the Switch, it feels a little bit like a step backwards, even though it's presented in a much nicer way. It feels a little bit like a step back. Pioneers of Olive Town does feel like they take that farming element and push it into the future, which I really appreciate. And the focus on that game, you know, if Friends of Mineral Town is trying to be 50-50 on both sides of that, Pioneers of Olive Town is like 75% farming, 25% everything else. Um even mm-hmm. though when you start the game, there are long extended cutscenes where the mayor is asking you for things here and there, teaching you about the town, making you introduce yourself to everybody in town, kind of like an Animal Crossing situation. But weirdly enough, none of the characters have gripped me at all in that game. Um, and and from what I've seen in reviews and stuff, that never really changes. Like even if you marry somebody, when you mm-hmm. talk to them like in the town as they're like going and doing their daily stuff, they'll be like, "Hey, how are you?" And like that's as much information as you get. <laughs> And they don't really like change their dialogue at all when you've been married or whatever. So what do your
1: husband, what do you and your husband talk about? We're all talking about the emperor's murder. <laughs> it's
0: like yes.
1: NBC bottle dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: well, he, yeah, he tells me a lot about uh, how he used to be an adventurer like me. I don't know. Really... Ow, my knee. Seems like he says that to everybody. I don't know. I found it really charming when I first met him. And now, now I'm not so sure. The wallpaper's covered in footballs. <laughs> Morning honey, need something? <laughs> that's what it feels like. Um and yeah. I I've, I've seen late game video of Pioneers of Olive Town and that does seem to be the vibe. And that's a little bit of a bummer, but I it's really enjoy the farming yeah. in that game. Like the yeah. of all of these games I have played, I guess f- five five of them, is it five? It might be four, but I think it's five. Five of these games at this point over the past two weeks, Pioneers of Olive of Town is the one that engrossed me the most immediately because I think the farming is so good and it feels so interesting and it, and it looks presentationally like we're pushing the genre further and that's kind of what I was most interested in. So if, if you were to ask me which one to check out, Stephen Hilger, I think that you should check out Pioneers of All of Town because I think you'll find it more interesting and fresher, even mm. even with those caveats that like the relationship building stuff isn't that interesting. Being able to, like, there are elements where you get to invest in the town and build up new shops and and fill up the museum and things like that. Like, all that still exists, and that's all really cool. Upgrading your tools and your abilities is, like, also really cool. Um, It kind of weirdly, speaking of Oblivion, has kind of an Oblivion level up system where you have a bunch of stats that will increase as you just do things naturally. Um, Whereas the Friends of Mineral Town games on the game boy advance and also the switch version is like you upgrade your tool specifically so like by by watering your can a lot you can then send it to get upgraded and then it'll upgrade and then it'll be a better watering can pioneers of olive town is more like well you will just get better at watering or you will get better at you know using the the scythe on on uh wheat and grass and stuff Uh, and it'll take less energy and i appreciate that a lot um so that that game feels to me like like the one to go for i think if you were to if you were to pick one of the two and, and that's, I think the one I would recommend to most people, but that also seems to be like doom three, a hot take. People seem to really <laughs> gravitate towards friends of mineral town because it has that relationship building stuff. And to that, I'd say, If that's what you're interested in, if you're interested in building relationships with people more than you are in farming, then I don't even think Story of Seasons is really the the one. Like, I don't even think that's that's the direction you should go. I think the answers in that case are either going to be Stardew Valley or Rune Factory. I think in both of those cases, Rune Factory 4 special specifically, that is kind of a best of all worlds. You know, like as as cool as Story of Seasons is right now, Rune Factory 4 special is probably like the thing to get on your nintendo switch if you're interested in farming and relationship building and you have this third element that is also really successfully done um in in the jrpg like combat side of things so that's kind of probably the move i think until harvestella comes out for me at least because i i loved 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 that demo and what i appreciate about harvestella especially against pioneers of olive town right now I, i i hate to pit them against each other in this way but it's kind of what this whole segment is The thing about Harvestella is that they don't even allude to the idea of relationship building. Like, in Pioneers of Olive Town, when you talk to people, there is a little heart meter that fills up as you get to know them better. Like, they they are saying this is a piece of the game and you should invest time in this, but you're not rewarded for it at all. Harvestella doesn't give a shit about that. Harvestella is like, these people are here to be shops and NPCs, you know? (laughs) They'll say things as the story progresses, but you're not going to, like, fall in love and get married and have kids with any of these people in this town. And I think just setting that expectation from go definitely the move here versus being disappointing actively yeah so I,
1: I looked it up these story season games are also on steam so internally i've been wondering if i should get the steam deck version over the switch or not they have issues
0: they have issues on steam on the okay. steam deck unfortunately Got yeah it. if you have them Got on it. pc they're fine uh, but but I, i've seen that they have some issues on, on steam deck which is why i also went with the switch versions
1: Honestly, you've kind of sold... I know you you gave a very insightful reason as to which one I should get, but I'm kind of sold on both because I'd like more Friends of Mineral Town enough to just want an easier version of it to play. Yeah. You know, like as much... Like that was one of my favorite games on Game Boy Advance. And I really loved that that original presentation. But like, it is a bit of an ask with the weird controls sometimes. So like the idea of like a slightly streamlined version of that, while not super creatively interesting... I do see a place for, and I think you're right that uh, Pioneer of All Town sounds like the more original one, mechanically at least.
0: Yeah. So I think what you'll find about both of them, yeah, regardless of which one you go for, what I appreciate at least about Friends of Mineral Town is when you start the game, and all of them have all the Story Seasons games have this, but when you start the game, it asks you if you want to play in like normal mode, or they have a mode called Seedling. And that just means that your money or the money that you get from selling stuff is increased and you can uh, increase your stats a little bit faster. Mm. So I think like if you're going to go play Friends of Mineral Town, definitely turn that mode on and then you'll feel like you're progressing at least faster than you did last time. It'll it'll. It'll feel, I think, smoother.
1: Yeah, I felt like I felt a bit like a wretch the first time I played uh, Friends of Middletown. Because like <laughs> the dude who comes to pick stuff up, like you don't have anything to sell. I'm like, I'm saving up for radish seeds, my yeah, friend. Like yeah. I, can, I don't have anything. Do you want dirt or sticks? You can pick them up. I'm not putting them in the box for you. I did the
0: same thing in both versions of Friends of Mineral Town. I made the same (laughs) mistake again where I bought too many turnip seeds and planted too many turnip seeds and then ended up spending literally every day spending all of my energy just trying to water all the turnip seeds and then had no energy (laughs) to spend on doing literally anything else. I did that in both games and I I felt like such an idiot when I did it a second time. I was like, "Ooh, sad. Yeah,
1: it was somehow more demoralizing than the wretch scene where you're just like ass out in the the pit. in the muck
0: see. yeah um, <laughs> but uh yeah friends of middle chat look i i don't i don't want to dunk on that game again if you haven't played it like i think it's really good uh i i just think if yeah. you're if you're going into it with the specific experience i'm trying to have i do think pioneers of all of town is going to be like a more interesting a more interesting uh, avenue um and when it comes to the 3ds ones story of seasons like that's it that's just what it's called is on 3ds i I just didn't like it very much unfortunately um it immediately launches you into an extremely extremely long opening tutorial section um that felt like really grating and then by the time it was done I realized that the game like didn't perform very well also again like you and I aren't really like performance snobs but I it was like really noticeable how often the game would like lag and skip and have like frame rate drops and stuff even on the 3ds it was like really not doing very well in just like basic farming tasks and that was like well at that point if i if i don't feel good doing the farming in the farming game then I, maybe this is not the one um there's another <laughs> one called trio of towns that i'm pretty early on in, and I, and i might i might you know change my tune about it because um, i i'm it seems really interesting uh as as expected, you have three towns and three farms that you get to get to farm in, uh, and it seems really interesting. But but I don't I don't I haven't gotten far enough in that one really uh, to to know how I feel about it against all the others. But right now, one town is called Blue Lionsville, the other one is <laughs> called Golden Deerville.
1: Sorry, I, I had to go for it. It was right in front of me.
0: All of that said I, I I do find myself going back to Pioneers Volatown a lot. Like I do find myself whenever I'm, you know, watching something on TV or whatever. That's the game that I'm reaching for and playing while I'm doing other stuff. And I I appreciate that. Friends of Mineral Town when I started up I feel like I'm doing chores. Like I feel like I I'm like like I'm I'm doing my homework a little bit and Pioneers Voltown feels like a video game that I'm like relaxing in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think A few points come to mind. One, I think you're really wise to take a step back and be like, what do I actually want from this genre? Because I think there's sort of this amorphous platonic ideal of this type of game, Mm -hmm. but everyone has a very, because essentially these games are trying to be like five games at once, which is inherently really hard to do. It's a miracle Stardew Valley is as good as it is given how many things you can do in that game. And I think if I had to point to one game that is like nailing this style of game just like across the board it's stardew valley like that game like the economy of it is really interesting like you know the strategic layers of like what do you invest in product wise are you going to be more of a ranch than a farm are you going to focus entirely on fishing or the cave exploration or the relationships are you making a farm in service of profit or in service of aiding the other parts of the game. Like, all of that is really cool. And I think it's just like, you know, not a hot take. It's, it's good. I like yeah. it a lot. <laughs> but I think, like, when you make a game that's specifically meant to at least be two games, mm-hmm. the challenge is making them both fun on their own and also making them complement one another. I think that's the most important part of it. And. The best execution I've seen, honestly, I really go back to Sakuna of Rice and Ruin as like one mm-hmm. of the coolest examples of complementing the other. Not to say like I think it's, you know, it's half like actually a farming sim, like getting in the dirt and planting things individually, which yeah. I can see being like either a love or hate thing about that game. And then half of it's like a side-scrolling brawler. So it doesn't have that like life sim part of it, but I do think that that game is really a great example of how those two elements coincide. You can need one to do the other and doing one well will benefit the other. All this to say, I still feel like the reason why we're seeing so many of these games is partially because they're successful. Like there's a lot of games that have done really well in this space, but I still think like there's so much yet to do in this style of game and I that agree. goes beyond farming, like we said. So I think that's why you and I are are excited to see a lot of people. Like obviously it's easier to scoff at like everyone trying to do the same thing it's sort of like uh souls likes in you know 2018 where it's just a million games saying that they're like dark souls but they were kind of superficial in what they were taking with it yeah i think we're seeing that superficial wave of popularity now but i think from that we're gonna get like the hollow knight of farming sins we're gonna get like the game that is you know like stardew valley taking inspiration and making it wholly their own and i'm really excited to see what direction These style of games can can grow into. Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of a lot of seeds being sown. You could say, (laughs) Um, dude. October, the harvest. The thing I I'll say this about Stardew Valley, I. As much as I love that game, we have a whole bonus about it. Uh, obviously, we love it dearly, uh, enough to do a bonus. The thing that always rubs me the wrong way about it is, is how complex its systems are and how yeah, few sure. of those complexities are explained in the text in the game. Like, weirdly, similarly to Elden Ring, you do need to, like, look up a wiki to understand fully what you need to do in Sardew Valley, depending on what you want to invest in sometimes. And that's why I was so interested in, like, what is Harvest Moon doing? What is Story of Seasons yeah. doing? How much of that stuff is tutorialized in a way that feels good, uh, which is you know why I bounced off of the 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 3DS one and why I'm enjoying Pioneers of Olive Town um, because I, I think the way they tutorialize like the farming and life sim stuff in that game feels really smooth. It feels it feels like a, like a like a gradual experience instead of like a, I'm being thrown into the deep end and I need to understand why this person doesn't accept my turnip as a gift. Uh, <laughs> I also I wonder if Pioneers
1: of Olive Town is working well for you because of the focus so you mentioned that it's 75 percent farming yeah i wonder if that helps the experience where like rather than trying to do five games at once all kind of okay they're doing one and a half games well mm-hmm. or at least one game pretty well yeah. so i wonder if that helps in addition to everything you
0: said yeah i think that's probably the case and as i'll, I'll mention again i'm really excited about harvestella Stephen. Yeah, I'm, I, I am very early in the demo, so I, I don't
1: really know what I think yet. I do think it has a bit of a slow start, but I'm optimistic that I will enjoy it. And honestly, I'm really curious about Rune Factory 3 special as well, because yeah. I feel like it's pretty identical to Rune Factory 4, but I like the setting a little more. I like living in the big tree. <laughs> I didn't get far enough into it. I'm like I, That was definitely my favorite like game like this on the DS, because that's when you could tell... Harvest Moon was losing a little bit of steam. Like the DS Harvest Moon games are they're they're fine, but they're like really not trying to do anything new. They're just sort of like, you're back. <laughs> it's like <laughs> back to school. Yeah. Whereas Rune Factory 3, like, warts and all, it's doing something really unique, at least at the time. So I'm curious to see what that switch port will like change or add to that game. Cause yeah. I could potentially see that being like alongside Rune Factory 4 special is like the game to get on switch.
0: I think it'll be hard to decide which of the two to tell people to get when that game is out. Yeah. And, and to be clear, yeah. that game is not coming out until I think spring of 2023 or something like it's, it's oh, okay. A, you a got some time, time to think, now, think yeah. about it. So if, if, you're, if you're looking <laughs> like to get into the autumnal spirit and like harvest a pumpkin in a video game, uh, I, I would say Rune Factory 4 is pro- probably the one to do it in. If you really want the like streamlined farming experience, uh i I would say story of seasons pioneers of olive town was probably my go-to if i if i were to pick one cool that's awesome i'm i am probably gonna
1: get them both i'm sorry in events
0: (laughs) i will i did hey i did the same thing they're both on sale this week so it was like oh well if i'm trying one i might as well try all of them
1: add it to the pile (laughs) switch games yeah yeah so what switch games would you recommend every story of seasons game rune factory
0: 3 and 4 special and 250 other games
1: mario zelda (laughs) okay we should probably wrap up kirby you know you know he was coming (laughs) um hey thank you so much for listening uh we are really excited about all this month's plans as you can probably tell into the cast that online is our hub for everything, places to review the show. Uh, we've seen a couple of really kind reviews lately. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Also, links to our Patreon. Thank you so much to our generous patrons who allow the bonus episodes to be possible. We recently released our patron bonus for, uh, alongside God of War, which came out. That episode came out last week. We have a patron bonus all about Norse mythology, kind of as a companion piece to that episode we have some loose plans on what to potentially do this month so once we know we'll let you know like what's coming to the patreon in october or november but for now it's a little bit up in the air but like we said earlier this month's regular bonus is going to be symphony the night and super metroid so i'm really really excited for that
0: yeah it's gonna be really cool Anything anything on the horizon that you want to shout out?
1: Yeah. So I actually started playing a game I meant to bring to the show today, but didn't have time for. I started Hyper Light Drifter, mm. which I'm really enjoying. That was a game that came out, I think, in 2016, and it's kind of become sort of a uh, widely beloved Souls-like in its own way, Yeah, even though I think it pulls from... There's definitely a Dark Souls influence, but it's pulling from other genres 2 so I want to get a little bit farther into that before I bring it to the show but I'm really enjoying that runs great on Steam Deck for all the deckheads out there who want to play Hyper Light Drifter um, it's also like that, that was pushed on me by Steam pretty heavily because there's a whole section in the store. It's like these run great on the Steam Deck and it was Hyper Light Drifter, mm. Cuphead, a few other ones. So, yeah, so that's on the horizon. I also have my whole spooky season playlist as well. A lot lot of games. I'm also like trying to keep a cautious eye on my 3DS backlog. So I'm not if and when we hit that goal, I'm not like all of a sudden binging, you know, uh, a bunch of games at once. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going through that. Uh, I really want to play Attack of the Friday Monsters, which I think you brought to the show uh, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, that's basically it for for games on the horizon. Currently. Cool.
0: I, I'll just shout out that I'm still playing Exo Miner every single day. I brought that game up a couple weeks ago. Uh, oh, nice. That, that one's going pretty well. I've I've technically beaten it twice, I guess, at this point. Uh, so I'm, I'm closing in on a third time. Some games I'm probably going to talk about next week. Just want to shout them out in case you're interested. One of them is called Slice and Dice. It's on itch. Um it was recommended to me by a, a friend named Kevin. Uh shout out to you if you're listening Kevin. Uh I w- I will talk about that game at, at your request. Uh it's really really good. It's really good. It's $7. I would recommend it. And another game that I'm really excited to check out. I just downloaded it called Moonbreaker, which is by the team that made Subnautica. Um and Oh cool. looks really cool. It's like a it's like a figure painting and also strategy RPG. Um, with lore by Brandon Sanderson, who is like a really acclaimed fantasy writer as well. It's just, it just seems wild and like totally up both of our alleys and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, so, Hell yeah! so expect those things on the horizon. I imagine slice and dice will probably fit into a spooky season segment. Cause that game is dark. Uh, but we'll yeah. talk about it anyway. We'll talk about it. That's the deal with gaming uh what if that was our (laughs) sign off
1: (laughs) oh man we could have gone all in on a seinfeld theme and just been called what's the deal with gaming
0: i feel like that would be a great
1: podcast name
0: Yeah, we'd, we'd have to figure out some like weird kind of public domain version of that.
1: <laughs>
0: Why is the God of War so angry? Anyway, let's wrap up. Uh, I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. I am Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. We've
1: had a lot of cane moments in this episode. we just like, we got to end this before it begins. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yank off stage. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful beginning to your autumnal season. We'll see you next week. Yeah, goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: G the worst garbage to online